The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host... Stephen Strom. And thanks for choosing the Sports Talkers Podcast. Great to have you in Stephen Strom here. BarrettSportsMedia.com. Rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast. We are very close to the sports equinox. Very close to having baseball, football, hockey, and basketball all back at the same time. So we'll mix up the guests the best we can moving forward. But for today, we have CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. He joins us. He's the host of the DA Show, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. nationally on CBS Sports Radio. Absolutely loved our conversation, discussing his work ethic, not having a job coming out of Syracuse, remaining tough, and taking anything that he can get. And he was very close to about moving on to another career. We talk about the ups and downs and, of course, the breakthrough for DA. So DA's story is one of the more challenging ones that I've heard so far doing these interviews. He also provides some broadcast advice. He defends his co-worker, Maggie Gray, who was actually criticized a couple days ago by a former NFL player that wasn't happy with her football analyst. So enough of me. Let's get to the conversation with Damon Amendolara. How'd you get into sports radio? Give us the timeline of uh, when you decided and, and when you really wanted to get into this. It's funny because so many people in the industry say, well, when I realized I couldn't play professional sports or I wasn't a good enough athlete is when I pivoted. And I never dreamt about being a professional athlete. In fact, I remember playing peewee football in sixth grade, seventh grade, thinking to myself, well, if I can get good enough, maybe I can get a media job out of this, <laughs> thinking that, you know, all I've got to be is James Lofton or Chris Collinsworth, and then I can get a, the job I really want. I, I mm. want to bypass the NFL career just to get to, to be a talking head. So it was very early. I mean, in junior high, I realized I loved sports. I loved watching sports. I loved reading sports. And so sports media felt like something that I could be very drawn to. By high school, I was working in uh, my local cable access television station calling high school games. And I knew relatively early in high school, ninth and 10th grade, hey, I want to become a sports broadcaster. So where do I go to college to do that? So I, I really had a one track mind pretty, pretty early in my life. Why Syracuse? You know, I, I saw a lot of really good journalism programs for the Northeast. I grew up in New York and I visited a lot. But I went to Syracuse and I went to the student radio station, W-A-E-R, and I looked at the wall of alumni and it just struck me when I saw there was Marty Glickman and then Marv Albert and then Bob Costas and Mike Tirico and Ian Eagle and Sean McDonough and Dick Stockton. And I just looked at these names and said, well, damn, if they made it here, then this gives me a shot. Mm. I, I never felt it was a slam dunk that I would do this. I always felt like I had to work really hard. I really had to commit. I never thought it was a given, but I thought, man, if they've done it from here and this is their diving board, then at least I got a shot. I know you're incredibly humble, but this is your opportunity to gloat a little bit. When you were going through this process, whether it was in college or maybe after graduation, what did you feel like you had that 
uh, it factor in that you felt confident that, hey, I-, I can make it in this? What was that thing that you were like, I have this and maybe someone else might not have? When I was at Syracuse, the competition level was devastating at times. My freshman year at student radio station WAER, you're not allowed on the air, basically. You have to only write. You wake up at three in the morning to do practice sportscasts. You get graded out by your older colleagues, your peers. And it was so hard for me not to have a microphone that went somewhere. Classes weren't enough for me. I needed to really be doing it because I had done it in high school at a cable access level. And I saw people in my class go, this ain't for me, I'm out of here. And one by one by one, I saw a lot of people just say, this is too much, this is too hard. And I was very taken aback by the competition level at SU because in high school, I was the most committed person in my school to this craft. And I went to Syracuse and everybody around me did exactly what I did in high school. But once I saw that I wasn't going anywhere, I would withstand this. I, I, I cared so much to do it that it didn't matter. And I saw other people's commitment level wane. I said, okay, well, my desire at least matches anybody that's here. Now I've got to have the talent. So if I could combine commitment and I just am going to have to do this because this is what I believe my purpose is and combine that with a skill level that had to get better, but I was good at writing and I had a creative mind. I felt like I could separate myself. And Mm. somewhere around junior year, sophomore, junior year, I felt you know what? The, everybody around me is really good and really committed at this level. Mm-hmm. But I can play in this game. I felt like when I got on the air, I could play in this game. And the people I graduated with, in retrospect, I mean, my goodness, the competition. Three years older than me was Adam Zucker, who's now a host of CBS College Football and Basketball. Two years older than me was Adam Shine, who is a huge media personality. One year older than me was Corey Provis, the voice of the Minnesota Twins. Twins. And I just felt along the way, if I can play with these guys, that I give myself a chance. Wow. So you graduate in 2001, and I'm reading here that you ended up doing play-by-play in Fort Myers. Is that correct? Yeah, my first job was down there, and there was a little single-A action that I got on a weekly basis. Okay, so kind of walk us through. When you graduate, because this is another thing. I'm very interested in this as well, because I graduated during the pandemic. I graduated in 2020, so everything got screwed up. Perfect timing there. Perfect Perfect timing. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) When you graduate, give us kind of a feel for who you're talking to, networking, the importance of that. How did you get down to Florida? Well, this is one of the great twists and turns of my career, and and what an incredible lesson. When I was at college at Syracuse, we, I was sports director going into my senior year. So I, I ran the sports department of our student radio station, and the commitment is you're up there 12 months a year. You have to be up there the entire summer. So I said, well, I'm not just going to sit around all summer and drink and play video games and, <laughs> you know, do a few sports casts. I got it. I got to be productive here. So I called radio, sports radio stations in Binghamton and Albany and Rochester and Buffalo because all those were within a two hour drive and asked, do you need any help this summer? There was a guy in Rochester at a smaller radio station, sports radio station, 1040 WISL named Tom Abraham. And he said, yeah, we can use some help. We broadcast um, A-League soccer games, the Rochester Rhinos. They're a pretty big deal here, so we have a pre- and post-game show. And you know what? You can host that. And I said, amazing. And then I thought, you put A-League soccer on the radio? (laughs) That seems insane to me. And so I cut my teeth at a professional level on a commercial radio station doing pre-game and post-game for the Rhinos. Great experience. When I graduate Syracuse in May of 2001, 
I'm thinking, well, you know what? I was sports director at Syracuse. Syracuse is one of the best sports broadcasting schools there is. I matched wits against the very best. I shouldn't have a difficult job trying to get a job. And I was willing to do anything. Play-by-play, television, local TV, talk. What was your preference, though, at the time? If you had to only pick one, Was was it radio? I love the theater of the mind of radio, but I never really hosted a daily show. So I actually grew up adoring Sports Center in the 90s. And I really thought that local TV, I would love. I would love okay. to do highlights. I would love to craft leads. There were a couple of potential job opportunities that came my way in radio. One was in Buffalo at a sports radio station that was owned by the old Sabres owner that ultimately went bankrupt. So the job offer was rescinded when he had no more money. <laughs> Then I had a job offer in North Carolina with Billy Packer. Packer was going to start a potential ACC radio network with his son, Mark, and I might be the host there. That ended up funding fell through, so that fell through. So I had these opportunities that I got built up with and thought, well, I should have a job. And then my dreams got crushed, and I kept waiting and waiting. And how old are you at this point, 22? 22. And so I graduate May of 01 and September and October and November and December and January and February roll around. And I don't have a job and everybody in my class does. What are you doing in between that? I'm living at home. And I am, I mean, I'm crawling at the wall. You do all that work and you're like, I should be rewarded for this. I am sending out audio tapes, cassette tapes, talk tapes, TV tapes. I'm going to the post office basically every day. And with my own money, just sending out tapes old school. You know, this is before email and audio files and playlists. Yep. This is old school. You you edit your VHS tape and you edit your your audio cassette and you and or CD. I, I burned them on CDs and I just kept sending out and making phone calls. And I had a notebook and I took notations of every call I made and the person that that person said to call. And when I called them and if they followed up in an email and it led to nothing. And in February of 2002... I saw an, an, an opening at the Sci-Fi Network, the old cable TV station, Sci-Fi Network. They needed a secretary. And I said, well, damn it. I graduated from Syracuse at the top of my class. I should be able to be the secretary at the Sci-Fi Channel. So let me just get a job. I got to get, I got to just get a job to be productive. Oh my gosh. And I didn't get it. I was turned down. They took somebody else. <laughs> and I said, this is Unbelievable. This was the lowest moment. I I couldn't get the secretary job at the Sci-Fi Channel. And this is a true story. I thought to myself, you know what? I have done everything I could. I committed at 13 years old to this job. I went to the toughest school I found to challenge myself. I committed. I worked on the craft. I made the connections. I thought I treated people well when I was in a position of influence. I thought this might not be my path. And it was at this point, Tom Abraham, who had worked for in Rochester, had sent me an email and said, Hey, what, do you still not have a job? And I said, I still don't have a job. He goes, well, we might have like 10 hours a week down here in Fort Myers, Florida. He had moved down there in the previous couple of months doing pregame and postgame for the Arena Football 2 team. Now, there was an Arena Football League that an AF2 team, an AF2 oh league, for the gosh. Florida Firecats. And he goes, we got a game a week. I know you did pre and post for me with the Rochester Rhino soccer team. Do you want to do some Arena Football? And I said, I will be there on Monday. And as fate would have it, they had a there was only a three-person sports radio station, three full-timers. One of the full-timers moved into production full-time for the entire cluster, leaving a producer job open that had full-time hours. And I got that within a month. And so I had a full-time job. They offered me eighteen five, eighteen thousand dollars, five hundred bucks. And I thought I was rich. I said, My God, somebody's gonna pay me and give me benefits to do the job that I love. 22 years old, I'm in. And that was the lesson that. Because I wanted to do more when I didn't have to during a summer in Syracuse, 
And because I committed to that job and did it as well as I could, I had a resource and a connection when I needed it most. And I said, I don't care what this is. I'm doing it whole hog. And then because of my leap of faith, the full-time job opened up. Because I was full-time there and did updates and producing and engineering, et cetera, ultimately after a year, they gave me my own show. Then I had a demo reel to send out. And that yeah. jump-started my career to where I started jumping markets as a sports talk host. And that is the important lesson. And we always talk about networking and always saying yes, but that is a prime example of doing a little bit more. You didn't have to go and do the Rhino soccer. Is that what I'm in my Rochester Rhinos? Is that you got team? it? You know, the Rochester Rhinos, you do that, you make a connection with this guy, Tom, and then this hat, it just kind of comes full circle. And now you kind of bounce around, you go from Florida to Boston to Kansas City, and then you finally get the national show. What was that feeling like when you uh, were headed to CBS Sports Network? It was pretty incredible. The path was I was in Fort Myers, Florida, just as a behind the scenes guide, an update guide, and a, a, a fill in host. And like I said, they gave me my own daily show Monday through Friday, launched a new station in Kansas City, 610 Sports in Kansas City. I got that job to do the night show there. And they eventually promoted me to the morning show. And doing morning drive at 25 years old was in a, a significant market was a real mind blowing experience. I thought, boy, I really arrived and I was there and I loved Kansas City. And there was a moment where my contract was coming up and management had told me, don't, don't worry, we're going to renew you. We're going to renew you. And ultimately, two weeks before the contract ended, there was no movement on my contract. And they said, no, we're not going to renew you. And that was devastating uh. because it was a dream job in many ways. Even though I had had my eyes set in New York to get back home one, at one time, I, I loved what I did. I worked with some of my best friends. I had grown to have a family out there and- it was what was the was, reasoning? What did they tell you? Ratings wise, we never beat the opposing team in town, uh, the opposing station. 810 was the behemoth, the traditional sports power. Our radio station had turned over quite a bit. The lineup turned over and I just couldn't beat him in the mornings. And the GM there, Dave Alpert, he had a guy he wanted and I thought I think thought would do better in that market than somebody who was younger, a little bit more creative, a little bit off of traditional sports talk. It's like your first right. reality of this is a business. Absolutely right. That's a really good way to put it. And the the hard business part of it was I had such a bond with the listeners and they didn't give me a final show because they were worried I would I would scorn them on the air. They were worried I would say something. I said, I promise I won't say anything. I, that's not how I would conduct business because I realized how small this industry is. They didn't trust me. Dave Alpert did not trust me with that that show. And I never got to say goodbye. And that killed me because I just wanted to say thank you. I just really wanted to I say I could tell it still hurts you right now. It does because I'm a super loyal guy and I understood the business. They they thought they could do better than me. They thought they could make a change and it would work. That's that's fine. But I would have never been unprofessional. And I just thought I I had given enough to the station and loyalty that I would get it back. And I didn't. So that was harsh. I landed on my feet in, in Miami. And that was a real great thing at WQAM in Miami. But it was right around when the industry, the bottom dropped out with the economy in 08. And I went from a full-time job to a part-time job. They said, hey, you're you're doing the night show and we're not really going to have a night show anymore. And I said, well, you know, that leaves me really screwed. What are you going to do? And they're like, well, we'll probably have part-timers do shift rates, which is like a hundred bucks an hour or a hundred bucks a show probably. Sure. And I said, okay, well, I'll do that. And they said, are you kidding me? Like you'd make a third of what you were making or yeah, whatever that was as a fraction. And I said, I'll do it because I don't want to be without a job. And I said, you still got to call it the DA show. And they said, fine. I said, keep the imaging, keep everything. Just nobody. Keep building your brand. I was basically fired because I, 
I'd always heard this adage, it's better to find a job when you got a job. And I said, as long as it looks like I'm working <laughs> and I'm on the air, I have a fresh tape to send out every single day. Mark Chernoff and Eric Spitz had created the idea that CBS radio is going to turn a bunch of FM music stations into sports talk on the FM dial. And they had a slew of affiliates. They were going to do this because traditional rock stations and music stations weren't getting ratings anymore, but they thought sports talk would work on the FM. They flipped Dallas and DC and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Boston all at the same time. And they said, how would you like to go to Boston to do nights? And I said, man, I'm a New Yorker. I don't know if that'll work, but if you trust me, <laughs> then I'm in it for you. And they said, Let, let's put you in nights in Boston. Now imagine doing evenings in Miami, getting zeros on the ratings to now going to Boston with an Huge absolute market. and a machine of a sports talk radio station. They put me at 98.5, the sports hub in Boston. And I just rode this wave. I mean, I couldn't believe the success we had of the popularity. They had the Patriots games, the Bruins games. That really put me on the map, I think, nationally, because the 98.5 Sports Sub success story was amazing. A launch station that toppled EEI within two ratings books, one rating wow. book. And the same company, CBS Radio, was launching a national radio network, CBS Sports Radio, in January of 2013. In October of 12, they called me and they said, would you be interested? It was a chance to go back home into New York where I always wanted to be. And it was a chance to be national. And I always dreamt that, boy, local is amazing. The connection you have with the community is amazing. Yep. But you get to talk about everything. There is no limit to the sports stories you can talk about. So I jumped at the opportunity. I said, yes. And they said, well, we don't know what time slot yet. And I said, I don't care. Whatever. I don't care what the slot is. Put me in there. And they put me in the overnights. And so... I did 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. for the launch of CBS Sports Radio for two years, 2013 and 2014. And it was another godsend. Uh, the universe had a blessing from above. That I, I had an ally that believed in me, another person, a decision maker that said, no, we think you're good enough. And it got me to my dream place. And I just, I, I couldn't feel more fortunate and more thankful and grateful that people believed in me enough. Unbelievable. Damon Mendelara with us now. Thank you for sharing all of that. Let's get into uh, just some overall media stuff. And, and I want to get this right because this was a story that came out actually yesterday. Um, your co-worker at CBS Sports Radio, Maggie Gray, she recently made some comments about the center position in football. And I think his name is Ian Beckles of WDAE responded. And, and I'll, I won't paraphrase. I want to get the exact quote. This is what Ian said, quote, if I were the GM of that radio station that hired Maggie Gray, she wouldn't have a job because she doesn't know sports, close quote. What is your reaction to that? I hate hearing it from former athletes, although I understand why they feel that way. I hate hearing it because I don't think that's fair to Maggie or any of us in the industry that haven't played. You know, I've committed my life to studying sports and talking to resources and talking to former athletes and being open-minded and trying to be better. And I feel like my opinion's credible because I put the work in. I didn't play, but I never thought that that made any of those guys that I just mentioned, any women or men that had worked in sports casting, not credible because they hadn't played. If you could tell they were smart they were thoughtful, they were analytic sure. and they put in the work. So I hate hearing that. I also personally know Maggie. I know the work she puts in. I don't think that's fair to say. And it feels a little sexist because it's, hey, Maggie doesn't know what she's talking about. There's a little bit of a tinge there that, that when I heard him say it, thought it kind of sounds like we're telling the women they don't know sports. Do you but think if a guy was in that position that he would have said it like that or no? I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I thought it was so dismissive. That's why I'm saying it felt sexist, but I'm not saying definitively because I don't know him. But what I am saying definitively is I understand why athletes do that because we don't do ourselves a great justice in sports media doing our research mm -hmm. and, and being we're not subtle enough. Everything today is pull the pin on the grenade and throw it and blow it up. I'm not saying Maggie does that, but we as a media do it all the time. Those are the takes that trend on Twitter. Those are the takes that that go viral. Those are the takes that other people talk about the takes. And if you're subtle and you're just a degree off critically, it doesn't resonate. Mm. So all these former athletes hear all of us just throwing grenades. They, that's all they hear is that this guy's a bum. This guy's a loser. This guy can't do it. This guy's not. And of course they think all of us don't get it because how could we get the nuances if all we do is go hyperbolic and big all the time. So I relate to athletes in that way because I hear athletes dismiss the media, then go into the media and go, well, this is a little bit harder than I thought. You know, Randy Moss and all these guys that shun the media for years then got into it and said, yeah, this is probably a little harder than I thought. And it's like, oh yeah, you think like we committed <laughs> as well to this crap. I mean, Tom Brady, we have no idea. If he's no good idea. At this. Yeah. And he just got 37 million bucks a year for a decade on the guess that he's good. So yeah, it takes work. And I hate it when they think this is easy as well. So I get it from their standpoint where they think, oh, you think this is easy. You think we call out the Mike linebacker and you think that anybody can do this off the street. Uh, you're wrong. So I relate to it, but it also was, it was so dismissive. I thought it was unfair because I know Maggie's work ethic. Let's end on this one, a positive one. There are a ton of, of really great young broadcasters that are, are starting to come up on the scene. Who's got next in the broadcasting industry in DA's eyes? Well, he's already here, but Jason Benetti is going to, in short order, be the best play-by-play -play guy we have. Jason does every sport I've ever heard him call, college football, college basketball, Major League Baseball, every sport, and he's done, he's done it at an elite level. And there are only a few guys that can do that. But a guy that you would put in there and go, every job he does, he's better than almost everybody he does it. And Jason is still rising and he's not, uh, I don't think he's a name yet at a national level where you're like, oh yeah, Benetti's got this big game and, and this is going to be amazing. But I just think as a play-by-play -play guy, let's see, this is 2022 by 2032, everybody in the nation goes, I hope Benetti's on the call. I also think Layla Rahimi in Chicago does an absolutely extraordinary job on radio and TV. This is what I'm talking about. The people that do everything well. Layla has done sports talk really well. She does sports television really well as a sports anchor. She does pregame and postgame around uh, Chicago sports. And everything she does is funny and smart and clever mm. and self-deprecating. And I love those combinations. So I think she, and she's already arrived as well. She's done some Olympic stuff on NBC and NBC sports. You know, she's she's the next as well. At DA on CBS on Twitter. Thank you for giving me. I You gave me more time than I asked for, so I appreciate that. And thank you for the storytelling. Fantastic you got it, man. stuff. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking me here. You guys keep it up at, uh, at Barrett. You guys are crushing it as always. And uh, just so you know, everybody in the industry basically clicks on all your stuff every single day. So we're all into it. All right. Damien Amendolaro, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, have a great weekend. BarrettSportsMedia.com. Rate, subscribe, and review. Check out all the other podcasts and the articles we have on our website. Have a safe Labor Day weekend, and we will talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, 
and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.